Hi everyone, this is a little bit different of an episode today. Uh, today I'm going to share a couple of really short, just a few minutes of clips from my new podcast, the Stories of Survival podcast. That podcast is dedicated to telling the stories of folks who have been real life lost and real life found uh, in wilderness settings. And episode one is with a Dr. Scott Hammond, who is a search and rescue expert from the Utah County Search and Rescue Team. Uh, he's also a professor at the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. So I hope you enjoy these short clips of uh, Dr. Hammond talking about some experiences he's had with search and rescue, as well as some experiences he's had with his dog. Specifically, he's a canine handler on that search and rescue team. Um, also, if you're wondering, the Alone podcast isn't going anywhere. Uh, I have pretty much everyone from season nine who's just kind of sitting around waiting for me to get my scheduling and everything in order. Um, to be honest, I think after a year straight of doing that show and putting out an average of over two episodes a month on top of everything else, I just needed a little break and needed some time to step back and evaluate and, and think through the the mission of that podcast. But it's not going anywhere. We'll be back soon with more episodes. But until then, I hope you enjoy these short clips. And if you feel so inspired to go ahead and search out um, the Stories of Survival podcast, I will also have links to this full episode in the show notes below. What's interesting is that when you're lost in the wilderness, um, you know, pe people knew where you were generally, uh, yeah. and uh, they would have found your car, they would have pinged your phone, they would have done something. You're never lost alone. And uh, a few years ago, uh, we were up in a place called Daggett Lake, which is in one of the northern counties in Utah that is very sparsely populated. They have 1,500 people in the county in the summer and 800 in the winter. And so they have a very small search team, then whenever they have a search up there, they need help. And I, we were up there helping them uh, look for a, a kid who you would call a hood in the woods, uh, or hoods in the woods, you know, it was on a wilderness therapy program. And they don't handcuff you to a tree at night, they just take away your shoes, so you don't run away. And they'd taken away his shoes, and he'd run away anyway. And uh, he'd been gone for four days, actually, the first day I got up there, uh, there were about 20 of us, and we um, got our dogs working and we're trying to find out trying to track him and we were we we didn't we kind of got a direction of travel of where he was going but we we just lost him we couldn't find him and um second day there were about 40 or 50 people looking that had come from wyoming and colorado and mostly utah to look for him by day four there were about 400 people looking for this young man Whoa. and um because, you know, we know as we look at the statistics that if you don't find them within 48 hours, the chances increase dramatically uh, for a bad outcome. So we were giving it a big push and trying really hard. And we had built this huge grid that uh, had and, each, and searched each of the grids. I had found um, with a, a man tracker had found his, um, his what we thought was his track coming out of the woods, but then we lost it. We couldn't figure out whether he'd gotten in a car or gone into a campground, or if he had turned around and gone back into the woods, it turns out that he'd gone back into the woods. And so we sent somebody up into this one grid, this one place that hadn't been searched, and there he was, four days in the woods, no food, no shoes, uh, ready to come home, you know? And he knew he was gonna be in some trouble. 
uh, and he was very scared. And they put him up on the top, of, on the back of this horse, and they led him down the mountain. And as he came down in the mountain, he came down to this camp of 400 people that were all getting ready to go home. And he, he was, he, I interviewed him later, and he told me that he was just deathly afraid that everybody's going to be mad at him, which is the normal reaction, right? They cheered. They cheered for him. People clapped. Um, people went up and gave him a high five. Um, some people wanted to hug him, but there were, you know, he, he was like, for a moment, he was a celebrity. And he told me in the interview later that that's the only time in his life that anybody had cheered for him. Um, it, and I just thought, you know, you're never lost alone. You don't understand. People don't understand that if, if in the United States, if, if you are lost, we will come strangers, search and rescue, volunteers, uh, um, mothers and fathers and uh, um, family members, um, they will come until you're found. And uh, sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it's not a good outcome, but people will keep looking for you. Yeah, I, that. sorry, that story, um, it, it, it's making me think a lot. <laughs> I, I have to pause and think through that you mentioned you interviewed him later and and um did you get a sense if that experience was enduringly transformative in his life oh, absolutely it was absolutely transformative and i would say that everyone that i've ever interviewed uh, and i've probably got 120 130 interviews that i've done of lost people and uh everyone that i've interviewed has described for me something that's transformational. They might not call it religious, um, but um, somebody who's religious would call it religious. Identify that. that they reached out in their mind, in their soul, to uh, a maker or a concept of God or to somebody and said, uh, if you're there, please help me. Mm. And, uh, and with humility. And so it's incredibly transformative in, in some real important ways. Um, in the book, I describe a woman named Victoria Grover who was in the Escalante area doing some hiking by herself. Uh, she had done desert survival her whole life. And so she knew things, knew how to operate in the desert. She had also was a physician's assistant. So she knew the medical issues associated with it. And, she got out a little too far on her hike and had to overnight, but she was confident she'd just get back first thing in the morning and intercept search and rescue before they came. And as she was trying to get back early in the morning, she found herself going down a dry waterfall area that was rather steep. And she had to drop into a kind of a pit at the bottom of this waterfall. And when she did that, it was about an 18 inch drop. I mean, it was not a, a, a big drop, but she landed wrong on a rock and had a a uh, double fracture in her leg that was very serious. And, um, and here she is in the pit where nobody can see her, where nobody can hear her, and, uh, and nobody's there anyway, because this is a very, very remote part of, of Utah. So um, she sat there at the bottom of this pit for three or four hours, trying really hard to, to uh, figure out what to do. She knew with a broken leg that she could not climb out of it. And she told me that she saw herself backwards. That she saw herself looking in a mirror and then she saw herself in the mirror backwards. 
And as soon as that word backwards came into her head, she said, backwards, I can go up backwards. So she turned around and with her one good leg, scooted up on her butt, up and over this rock, and then scooted herself along over to the river. There's a little stream, a crystal clear stream that runs through that area. She scooted herself over to that crystal clear stream and got the water she needed because you have to start hydrating very quickly when you have a severe fracture like that. And, and while she was pull, going um, along, she got out a little $2 poncho that she brought with her and put anything that would burn on the poncho so that she um, could start a fire. And so when she got to the shore and drank, then she started a fire, um, got a nice fire going and then covered the fire, the coals of the fire with sand and sat on the sand all night. And that's what kept her alone and or, or alive and she lived for four days that way until she was found. Boo is my, yeah, Boo is my second dog. Um, first dog was uh, Dusty. And um, uh, Boo, um, when he was just six months old, I took him to a junior high school to an assembly. And there were 600 kids in the room and I did a little thing about lost person behavior and a little thing about the 10 essentials you bring into the wilderness and then I, my wife was sitting in the back and she had Boo on a leash. And I said, go and bring the dog up. And all the kids go, yay, yeah. And then and I called Boo and he comes running up and jumps on the stage. And, you know, he's like a show dog. He's he's just thriving on the crowd. And and then uh, I, I have a command I give him that uh, is just essentially go find somebody. Go sit next to somebody. I say, he's going to come sit next to somebody and, uh, and you're going to be my volunteer, my helper on stage, if you wouldn't mind. So um, he goes and sits down next to this kid out in the middle of the audience. And, uh, the, and the kid comes up and helps me with a few things. And that's a good experience for the kid. At the end of the assembly, this teacher comes up to me and she's just in tears. And she said, how did your dog know? I said, what do you mean? He goes, how did your dog know? I said, know what? She said, this was my autistic student. He hasn't said a thing the whole year, and now he can't stop talking about how wonderful your dog is. Dogs know things that we do not know. They feel things that we cannot feel. And so that's the, that, that's the uh, teaser I'm gonna give you if we go back.